You're listening to Reporters and Reported, a podcast from Cardiff University School of Journalism, Media and Culture. In each episode, brought to you by the MA Journalism students of 2021 and 2022, we'll bring you insights and interviews with key people in the news industry. We'll examine the challenges, opportunities and threats facing journalism and get tips about the best way to follow a career in the media. This is me, Ed Barnes and George Lithgow, talking to Joe Stevens, MP, Shadow Culture Secretary. In an interview today, the Culture Secretary said that the left and particularly left-wing activists have hijacked social media. Do you agree with that? Well, I'm not sure whether we're looking at the same sort of social media then, because it's not what I see. Um, I think, you know, it's such a massive thing, social media, the range of views and voices and where they come from and whatever side of the political um, spectrum. I, I don't think you can just narrow it down to that, no. You talked a bit in your talk about um, how you were in favour of um, filtering out anonymous accounts and so on in order to try and curb um, abuse online. Um, so according to the new statement, it said that only anonymous accounts only accounted for 1.7% um, more um, abuse towards MPs and so on. So if a policy like this to, would be introduced, like why do you think it would be an effective way of curbing like online hate? So just to clarify what I said about anonymous accounts... I fully support the fact that there are people who need to be anonymous online for safety reasons and we've got to make sure that those groups of people are protected. I think there's a way to deal with abuse online from anonymous accounts to whoever it is and and that is people should be able to have a default option on their accounts not to have anonymous accounts appear on their timeline. So you're effectively saying to people you can have a choice, you can open your account up to all or only to what you might describe as verified accounts, for example. Um, behind the platform then, the tech behind there, obviously you need to be able to identify people who set up accounts in the event that there needs to be some law enforcement involvement in very specific, um, in very specific circumstances. Building on that, can we really trust social media companies to have that kind of data about all of us? It is a risk. Um, they have our data now. I mean, you know, they have so much of our data, more than we even realise. Um, and there are, there have been incidences, obviously Cambridge Analytica, one very high profile example, where uh, data breaches have occurred. So that's a kind of area where we do need to think about making sure that people's data is safe. And I'm a great believer in having digital rights so uh, and digital literacy about people understanding about who owns our data and what they do with it and um, and I think education around data and data rights and giving people responsibility for their data is something that um, I would welcome a public discussion about. So obviously politicians um, have security and increasingly also a number of high profile journalists as well. Have you found that toxicity online is spilling into in-person encounters um, from your experience? Like, is there any, like, have you seen more hostility from the public? Certainly over a long period of time before I was an MP, um, so maybe the last decade, trust in politicians obviously has been at a low level um, and I think social media has increased the kind of coarseness of public discourse and that's not just in relation to MPs I know it's in relation to journalists as well I mean I've always found that in most circumstances what people will say online 
they won't say to you to your face. So um, there have been occasions where I've challenged people who've been abusive to me online and I've talked to them offline and they've been very apologetic and said, you know, oh, I'm really sorry I'd had a few drinks or whatever. Um, and maybe it's, you know, all of us, we all, I'm sure none of us are perfect, but it's just about thinking, thinking. We think before we write um, and we think before we speak to somebody face to face. Maybe we just need to think for a little bit longer before we write online um, and the impact that, that will have on people. It's not a new thing or a revolutionary thing, is it? It's maybe how we should all live our lives. You said earlier that social media has become too binary. People are in their camps online. What changes do you think need to happen to change this? I think it's social media is very binary, but I also think politics and public discourse has become very binary. And, and if you look at like what politically has happened over the last five to ten years, the country has become very divided um, on all sorts of issues. And that combined with the rise in the use of social media, I think, has just exacerbated that issue. For me, I'm a great believer in um, discussion to find common ground and solutions and sometimes to compromise. I mean, a lot of politics um, is about making compromises. You don't always get what you want, but you have to make a judgment about how much of what you want you can get and, and you bank that. So I think uh, the more opportunity there is for people to discuss in a way that's respectful and try and find out more about their opponents and reach those or find those areas of agreement, the better the outcome will be. Um, kind of moving on from that, um, is there anything that you think journalists could be doing better in their coverage of politics and the government? Oh gosh, there's a question. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, I see what I think are examples of really good political interviews and I also see examples of what I think are really poor political interviews. And as a former lawyer, I place a great deal of emphasis on evidence so you know if you are challenging in an interview um, and you've got evidence to back up what you're saying rather than just giving an opinion um, I think that makes a great interview I'm not a great fan of interviews that are just some whoever the interviewer is just basically giving you their opinion and presenting it as fact um, so for me really the real importance in journalism and, you know, for prospective journalists listening to this, um, maybe, is about understanding, and I'm sure you do, about the need for real evidence, reliable sources, um, and then absolute eyeball scrutiny on politicians, because, um, you know, that's the way that you get your scoops and you uh, and you get your admissions and, and uh, hopefully have a very successful career on the back of it. We touched earlier on about the decline of local journalism. What do you think needs to be done to rejuvenate local journalism? So local journalism has suffered extensively over quite a few years now. I mean, we saw 60 local titles close during the pandemic. We've seen hundreds of job losses during the pandemic on the back of thousands before that. Um, I think the primary issue that needs to be resolved is around um, the basically the the monopoly or the duopoly that is currently in place where, where Facebook and Google are hoovering up advertising revenue, both buying and selling it. Um, and it's a level of monopoly in a market that we wouldn't, we haven't tolerated in any other sector of the economy. So the digital markets unit, which has been proposed by the government, needs to get up and running as quickly as possible because um, this is, you know, the current 
um, behaviour of those two companies and the impact it's having on local journalism and on national papers as well um, is is very stark. And unless something is done quickly, we will see more papers fold. Um, and you know, I think even Rupert Murdoch was. Uh, talking about it in a piece this week. So if Rupert Murdoch's worried about it, I'm sure <laughs> lots of other people are too. Um, so obviously kind of leading on that with kind of local coverage, so we do a lot um, as part of the course. Um, so for any non-Welsh journalists um, covering Wales and Welsh issues, what's the most important thing about Welsh culture that you think they should know? We've got a, an identity in Wales, I think, and and, our, and we have a political identity as well. But actually, certainly, I, you know, speaking as a Cardiff Central MP, we have an extremely diverse country and, and that identity encompasses a whole range of things. So I quite often meet people who are not from Wales, you know, who think that all we do here still is work in coal mines and sing and go to the rugby. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to Wales than that. And, uh, and student journalists in Cardiff, I hope, are experiencing the full range of stuff that Cardiff has got to offer. But I think understanding about kind of national identity is quite important. And you see that in other parts of the UK as well. So regions of England, you know, I've got family living in Yorkshire. There's a real proud Yorkshire identity. Um, same in the southwest, same in London, all over the country. So I think getting to grips and understanding that is a is a key to maybe understanding how places work and how people feel and the way they react. You mentioned earlier on that you think it's harder to get into journalism if you're from a, a less well-off background. How can this be changed? So that's a big question for, <laughs> for public policy. I mean, we see that all over the country and not just in relation to journalism. We see it in the arts. We see it in um, politics. So this is about making sure that wherever you live in the country, whoever you are, wherever you're born, whatever your circumstances, you should have the same opportunities as anybody else. So it shouldn't just be about money and class um, because we do have a very unequal society in Britain um, and I mean one I'll just give one example you know big cuts to arts education at university which are on the cards um, which will mean that you know many more people won't be able to go and do the sort of degrees at university that they would like to do that would get them into careers ultimately into journalism as an example um, so it's about making sure that from the minute a child is born, um, that they have the same sort of opportunities wherever they live and wherever they come from. And that is a, how you answer that, you know, goes across every aspect of uh, government and public policy, a big question, but there are lots of things that you can do across all those areas. Journalists and politicians notoriously have quite a close relationship, you know, it's uh, symbiotic in a lot of ways. Um, kind of how do you view that relationship with journalists and do you think it's sometimes too close? I think um, for me, I want to have a relationship of trust. So if I know a journalist or if I'm contacted by a journalist, I want to feel that I can trust them. Um, and I'm sure that's the same journalists approaching politicians. You're right about the symbiotic nature of the relationship. Um, I think there are some, you know, <laughs> some politicians that spend their entire time talking to journalists. I rather take the view that you know, I want to talk about things that I understand and I know about. I just don't want to talk about things for the sake of things. Um, but it's important to me that that relationship works well because obviously, um, you know, politi politics is all about communication. 
And so the media plays a huge role in communicating what is going on in the political world. Um, and you're right, we can't do our job without you and you can't do your job without us. It was brought up earlier that there have been, I think it's 13 culture secretaries in 14 years. Do you think this suggests that issues of online harm aren't being taken seriously enough? The turnover of um, secretaries of state is not good at all. I mean, it just means you have no continuity in the role. Um, I also think it's seen in, in Parliament as a stepping stone to bigger jobs in the Cabinet. Um, but actually, digital particularly, online safety being a big part of that and digital media, you know, this is so important to so many aspects of our lives. Digital is in everything we do every day. So for me, you know, this is this is the job I wanted in the Shadow Cabinet. Um, the only other job I want is to be the Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. Um, and I, I view it as a really important brief um, that has a lot of impact. And so online harms and online safety particularly has suffered. We've not, you know, we were promised legislation nearly four years ago. The turnover of Secretaries of State, I'm sure, has played a part in the delay that's occurred. And this legislation that we currently have, you know, which hasn't even started its real journey through Parliament, yet it's still in pre-scrutiny stage, is unlikely to come into effect maybe 2022, 2023. It could even be 2024. Now, in that period, we will see more people, more children, you know, child sexual exploitation online. The figures are up all the time. So there'll be more victims of that abuse every single year while we haven't got this legislation in place. There'll be more people that are, will be victims of scam adverts and lose lots of money, which at the moment the government won't include in the bill. So there is real harm going on all the time and it's growing. So we need this legislation as quickly as possible. I did actually get a promise out of the Prime Minister a few weeks ago. Uh, Keir Starmer asked him at Prime Minister's questions whether or not this bill would arrive in Parliament before Christmas and we can start working on it. And he said it would. I think I'd uh, put money on the fact that we won't see it before Christmas. You accused the Minister, um, you shadow Nadine Doris, um, of attempting to police um, and influence the BBC's political editor, Laura Koonsberg. Um, some people believe that the BBC's independence and future is more under threat from this government than any previous one. Is this a view that you share? If you look at the reported statements of the Secretary of State about the BBC, and she's, you know, she's talked extensively about her views of the BBC, um, if I was working at the BBC, I'd be pretty concerned. Um, and I'm very concerned about the fact that, you know, there has to be an understanding about the independence of the BBC from government. And this is why I raised the fact that she was publicly rebuking the BBC's political editor. And it's why I'm concerned that she's reported to have said that, you know, the BBC have lost a load of money from their forthcoming funding settlement because of an interview that Nick Robinson did with the prime minister. You know, to me, standards in public office mean that you shouldn't be making those comments. And if you're overseeing those negotiations, you have to be absolutely scrupulous about what you say. Um, in relation to an issue where effectively you are you are making the decision on the funding settlement. So if I was giving advice, and I don't know whether she wants to take it, I would wind wind it back in a bit. Um, so kind of leading on to that, um, what's your biggest fear if the BBC ceases to exist as it currently does? You know, either it becomes privatised or it's severely cut back. If we don't have a healthy and thriving BBC, we we obviously don't lose don't just lose our preeminent public service broadcaster 
Um, we don't just lose the soft power that the BBC brings around the world for the UK. We also damage the very heart of this very successful ecosystem of broadcasting and creative industries. Because if you talk to anybody in film production, if you talk to the big American film producers and companies, if you talk to people in independent production, other broadcasters, they will tell you that they have brilliant people working for them who trained at the BBC. So the BBC is like this this brilliant, fertile training ground for journalists and um, creative industry people um, that then benefits the whole of the sector. And this is a sector that before the pandemic brought in £111 billion a year to the UK economy. Fastest growing sector. Very important in South Wales for jobs and our local economy. And, you know, we should be treasuring it, sustaining it, growing it, doing everything we can to make it more successful. Um, and the BBC is right at the heart of that, in my view. So obviously this is a question that politicians get asked a lot. Um, what's your go-to drink at the pub? <laughs> Bitter. So I love IPA, so I'll drink any IPA. Yeah, Always a pint and um, occasionally a pint of Guinness, but almost always IPA. <laughs>